0: All right, hello everyone. Welcome once again. Thank you so much for joining in. Um, today we'll be having onboarding series. We'll be having the onboarding session for series four: the rise of institutions. Um, yesterday we spoke about um, series three, the matrix, where we proposed uh, the design of an enabling environment and an economic ecosystem for value creation, right? As opposed to the existing systems that we have basically for just um, scholarly competence and academic um, abilities, right? So today we'll be discussing um, series four, right? In the Venture Matrix of the Future of Africa project series. And we'll be discussing the rise of institutions. And this is very important because we need to understand that beyond creating an enabling environment, beyond creating an environment that supports value creation, we also need to increase the social health of every community for an economic revolution to be sustained. In simple terms, if we have economic prosperity and people are not changing in, social, in their social um, dispositions, in the way they think, in the way they act, in the way they behave as a community, right? it's easy for us to lose that outcome that we so desire. Let me give you an example. I don't know if many people have heard of this gist where people say, if we transfer the whole of Nigeria as it is right now to the US, and we transfer US into Nigeria, then Nigeria will become today's US, and then the US will be downgraded into today's Nigeria. Right? If you've heard that kind of gist before, please let me know in the comment section and say, yes, 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 you can relate. Right? And then once you do that, once I see those messages, we'll jump right into the day session. If you've had such comments before that if we're to exchange Nigeria to the U.S. and then we exchange the U.S. to Nigeria, we are going to, okay. Okay, I'm beginning to see that. All right. So if you're ready to have another interesting and amazing session, if you've been able to invite your friends to have an experience with us on this project, I need you to just tell me, go, 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 so that we can start today's amazing session of another learning experience on the Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa series for the rise of institutions. Thank you so much for sharing your energy with me. Um, I can see your comments, and I'm gonna start sharing my screen right away so we can jump right into it. All right, so on today's, um, on today's session, right? Yesterday, one thing that I tried to establish, even though a lot of time was consumed, was that the route to a transformative economy, right, is an intersection of both social and enterprise, right? So one thing I wasn't able to spell clearly in the article, which I'm going to rewrite, not rewrite, but add, is that we need more social entrepreneurship. But I think, yeah, I think I made that point, actually, when I was discussing in series two, when I said the major problem with entrepreneurship in Africa and its effect on the economies that we don't have enough social entrepreneurship, right? So, right here, we'll be discussing the underlying mechanisms, the underlying systems that make, up, that make social entrepreneurship profitable, that makes social em- entrepreneurship a sustainable way to the future, that makes social entrepreneurship an, ex- an interesting and exciting way to build the future of Africa as young people. So, we need to apply Business principles, technological principles to solve social issues, that is simply the route I'm trying to explain um, in this series, right? But writing this series was one of the hardest, and this is why. Because institutions are designed to be very dynamic, and they are designed to be very, to solve very peculiar and defined problems, right? And the existing um, institutions that we have today, like when you hear the tertiary institutions, um, the healthcare institutions, the financial institutions, they are designed to evolve, right? They are designed to evolve according to the nature of the problem they are specifically solving, right? So that is what I was trying to establish here in this article, right? In this piece, rather, right? That we need to create a totally different perspective to how we design organize and um sustain institutions that would decide the nature of change that this enabling environment can 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 cause can birth right so i'm going to jump right into the article right as we discuss the rise of institutions now this is called the rise of institutions if you remember there are eight stages of development so every every piece after the after series 3 is a continuation based on those eight eight um, cycles right because those are what hypothetical um propositions they are just propositions they are just things that i think we can do they are just a design right it's just like the way you design a building before building it so this is just a layout of a design right and in that design once we have an existing and enabling environment where we have an ecosystem that supports economic value creation we need to now start thinking of what institutions to regulate the impulses of man towards prosperity, because once you create an enabling environment, it's like eight, it's like one equals to, it's like one plus one equals to two. Once there's an enabling environment, you can always see prosperity, right? And humans have the tendencies to be greedy. We have that, you know. We are we are we we are made. Our human nature can override us, right? We might want to, you know, dominate. We might want to, you know, exploit each other because what we have created new value systems, right? So we need the rise of institutions to be able to work, regulate that human nature and regulate how much power is being distributed within that ecosystem, right? So let's jump right into the article. I'll try to be more time, um, time conscious today. In series one, the, nat- the narrative designed for the eventual Matrix for the Future of Africa was defined by a call to focus on the Deuter- Deuteragonist in the plot and not the prot- protagonist. That simply means that all of these things, even though it looks like I'm at the center of it all, has actually been designed for, to address the main character to be the undergraduate community, not me, not Bartel, right? So that's what I was trying to explain in the first um, sentence. It was defined this way because the relationship between the identities of the protagonist, myself, and the deuteragonist, the undergraduate community with the venture matrix incites a delusion where we misplaced one for the other because of the multi-dimensional interplay of different ideas and concepts that have their unique characterization in this narrative. That is, they seem to have a life of their own that doesn't seem connected or interrelated until you bring them into the big picture. Right? So, the realization of this difference is the key to unlocking the reality of this proposition as we explore the rise of institutions within the venture matrix for the future of Africa. So, what I was basically trying to say there was that the rise of institutions is a call to refocus on the undergraduate community on what is going on there on what needs to happen there, right? And because of how interesting these pieces have been developed and written, it is easy for us to get carried away, right? And think that the piece is about me, Battle. Because of course, it is posted on my platforms. It is my ideas being expressed. It is my thoughts being articulated in this piece, right? But don't get carried away. The major center focus of these pieces is not me, Batel. It is actually you who make up the undergraduate community being awakened to these ideas. That is what I'm saying here, right? That if you look at the piece, it looks like every character in the piece, being you know myself, the undergraduate community, the government, the nation, the parents, all of that, it seems like all of them have their role to play. And it now looks like as if all of them have their own independent characters coming alive. Right. It looks like we are talking about different things, in one piece. But this is a call to focus. That even though there are many stakeholders discussed here, the major concept is about what the undergraduate community. So that is what I was trying to explain in this first paragraph. So let's move on. I love this um, picture that says, "How do we change the world? We change the story." Now, this piece is an intro. It's a segue. A segue is like um, an opportunity to introduce a different idea in a piece, right? It's a segue into what this piece is really about, right? Which is about understanding the underlying factors that affect outcomes. So let's jump right into the article. As I pondered the essential role the rise of institutions will play in this venture matrix, I observed that it was most threatened by existing traditional narratives about institutions and how they are designed and operated. Now, what this means is if you go online, if you go on Google to Google what an institution is, there is already a defined meaning of what it is. But within this context, we need to recreate our own meaning. In fact, throughout the whole ideas, right, dished out in the Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa project, we need to look at it with fresh eyes. You cannot think of this concept Or define it based on what you think it is. You have to define it based on what it is described as in this article. All the old ideas you have, throw it away when you are reading these pieces. That's what I'm trying to say in this first word. Especially when it comes to how institutions work in this matrix that we're trying to design. Right? So these existing narratives about institutions need to be readdressed based on the context of this proposition for the venture matrix. This is because I have noticed consistently the human tendency to conform to social narratives as we explore our quest to establish our identity and define our purpose. So every human being has that natural tendency to want to define themselves in the society. Everybody doesn't like to be seen as the same. Everybody wants to be seen as unique, right? And as we discussed in series one, the power of narratives is that the power of narratives have the power to define things. They define parameters within which things exist and within which things can what, evolve and be recreated and created. That is the power of narratives. Right? And as I said in that line, we have the human tendency to conform to what already exists as a narrative. Right? Because what we are looking for ways to shorten our, our ability to attain or define who we are as people and why we exist, which is what our purpose. So going back in, we normally fall into the trap of identifying with social narratives long enough that they become, what, labels, as we find ourselves letting go of the core plot initially built around the cause behind the narrative or the narratives. What this is trying to say is that for every narrative you hear today, it was actually built for a cause. Every cause exists because of a narrative and every narrative exists because of a cause. But what is most important is not the narrative. It is the cause behind the narrative. So you have to be aware of the cause behind the narrative to properly understand the opportunity and the value of the narrative. That is what I was trying to say in that line. Right? So we create boxes that we may leave in them. Forgetting that there is a world outside that box that we are now trapped and blind to. We end up creating labels that sedate us long enough that we become numb to exploring the origin of the narrative and forget the whys. So what I'm trying to establish here is that every narrative exists because of a why. There is always a why behind every narrative. That is what we should focus on. So as I said, I had a, had a tough time developing this piece because... Defining the role of institutions within a context that doesn't even already exist was very hard. So I decided to focus on explaining why we need institutions within this environment instead of giving a a blueprint of what the the institution itself should be. Compared to other pieces where I give definite blueprints for what I think what should be. Do, Do you understand? Please, can you mute yourself, Timothy? Please, can you mute yourself? I should not be saying this by this time. I'm sorry. Let me quickly look for how to remove him. Um, Timothy, please mute yourself. Wow. Please, guys, I should not be saying this by this time. Mute yourself so that I don't have to be distracted, please. All right. Sorry about that. Um, So as I said, as I pondered on the essential role the rise of institutions will play in this venture matrix, I observed that it was most threatened by existing traditional narratives about institutions and how they are designed and operated. These existing narratives about institutions need to be readdressed based on the context of this proposition for the venture matrix. No. So that's what I was trying to say, right? That most times in, the existing, in this world that we have, institutions always rise after innovation, after the new thing has been done, right? So what I was trying to say here is because what I'm offering is totally different, we need to also think differently about how to design institutions in this world I'm asking that we should create. Do you understand? Now, this is because, um, oh yeah, so we normally fall into the trap of identifying with social narratives, not enough that they become labels. as we find ourselves letting go of the core plot built around the cause behind the narrative. So I was say, trying to say, let us always focus on the why, why we want to develop these institutions rather than the institution itself, so that we can easily evolve um, in the development of these institutions, right? Ah, hey God. Please, who is not mute now, guys? This is actually really frustrating, guys. Please, let us mute ourselves. I think it's the guys on Google Meet. I think maybe from now on, we'll just be, we'll just be, we'll only be using Zoom. Because I cannot deal with this, please. So, as I was saying, right, um, we end up creating labels that sedate us long enough. That will become norm to exploring the origin of the narrative and we forget the whys. The why is the creative source and the resource of every narrative that has impacted us as humanity and defined the seemingly different realities of our, com- of our version of the world. To explore the rise of institutions, we will need to be more focused on establishing the why of this narrative while the rise of institutions will spring forth from here. So, what I was trying to say here is that we need to focus on the why rather than what should be, right? When we're trying to think of creating institutions for this matrix. I, for one, have always been driven by narratives, seeking to understand them enough to change them, or better still, present a superior argument that provides a conversation about what they are actually about, what they should be, and what they should become. So that is, why, that is how me, I treat narratives. I always question them one of soft narratives of interest is the narrative about young people and their development to explore the growth potential of africa now we will go into the existing narrative proper proper about young people right and we'll notice that there are two two sides of that conversation so let me just read this part so that i can properly explain right so as i said About narratives, right? So there are two sides of the conversation about the narrative of young people across Sub Saharan Africa. Now we're going into understanding the why for the rise of institutions. There are two sides to the conversation about the narrative of young people across Sub Saharan Africa, which are the value creation side and the talent supply side. This same reality about presenting a superior argument ignited my quest into developing a venture matrix for the value creation side. Of the conversation in 2017, but it didn't seem to be a relatable reality. So what I was trying to say is, I had observed this thing about narratives since 2017. I noticed that whenever I was talking to employers or talking to creators, they always talked about young people as talents. They never really addressed them as creators of solutions. They just always saw them as talents, right? So there were two sides to this conversation about young people. Um, in this ecosystem which is what is either you're a talent right or you're a value creator but most times, the narratives have not been defined and skewed towards young people in the undergrad, undergraduate community as talent that is why you have people sourcing for talents from university people don't source for value creators from the university right and that is what this venture matrix wants to wants to address and i was saying here that i noticed this in 2017 but people could not relate to the idea because what it was still very early at the time. Right? It was not a relatable reality. But however, in 2018, I decided to explore. So when I noticed that it was, not a, it was not a clear idea at the time, I decided to still explore what makes this talent supply side, the existing narrative. You know, as I said earlier in this piece, once I hear, I love narrative. I've always been driven by narratives. But once I hear a narrative, I want to understand why. Why is the narrative, why do people just see undergraduates as talents? Why don't they see, see them as entrepreneurial talents or as value creators, even though they are creating value? Why don't they give them that accord? So I decided to explore the talent supply side of the existing narrative in 2018, which directly affects the education value chain and gave rise to the ed tech market about undergraduates. So there's something called the ed tech market, right? Which is always trying to what? Solve. The challenges in the educational system and give it enough value creation, sorry, and create enough value for talents from that um, supply, right, to be appealing to the demand coming from the corporate organizations um, in, in this our economic ecosystem. Right? So this fueled my work with Utiva, Slate Cube, and Student Build Africa. So while I was working with Utiva, while I was working with Slate Cube, while I was working with Student Build, I was trying to solve the four dominant problems in the talent supply side, which is what access to quality education, the quality of the education, um, the learning environment, and then the outcome. So the ed tech market is defined by those four problems, which is what access to, informi- access to education. Access to education, um, you know, startups solving that kind of problem are things like scholar X, where people are getting um, scholarships and grants to go to the university and all of that, right? Another problem in that space that I was exploring was quality of education, right? Which I was trying to solve at Utiva. So, Utiva had a programmatic approach to solving the quality of education, which is there are things that there are skills that employers are paying for that that the university is not solving. So, that is the second problem. The third problem is the learning environment, which is what are students actually learning? How are they learning it? And how effective is the learning? So, that is what we're solving as student build, creating an enabling environment. For students to what explore their own human capacity for opportunity through what developing themselves, right? And then the last problem, and then the last problem in that edtech tech market is what outcome, which is accessing quality jobs, ma- um, matching talents to, uh, to to companies that I can I, that I actually pay for the talent and actually needs the talent, right? So those are the problems that make the edtech tech markets that I decided to focus on between 2018 and 2020. Right. So between 20 20 <laughs> so between 2018 and 2020 I worked with three paced fast growth edtech ed- tech companies trying to solve those problems. The only the so yeah so that's so that so um, so back into the article this filled my work with Utiva Slate Cube and Student Build Africa, where I was responsible for designing the business model. So everywhere there, I was the lead business developer for all of those companies um, during that time, right? I developed business models. I led and drove growth in all of those companies. In fact, in Utiva, um, within six months, I was able to design the business model to achieve 60% of our goal for the year in just six months, right? So I was able to scale for, from just being in charge of um, business development and, and all of that side to almost becoming a co-founder at um, Utiva. In fact, I was actually almost co-founder only that you know, papers were not signed and, and all of that. Right. Same thing happened with Slate Cube. Um, after my first two or three months in Slate's Cube, I was, I was now in charge of um, business development for Nigeria because Slate Cube was operating across Africa, right? Um, managing projects, um, you know, was also managed projects with World Bank at Cote d'Ivoire and things like that. So exciting, exciting projects like that. So I was in charge of that, driving the growth and business model development for all of those startups, right? because you know, I, like, I like strategy, I like business development and analysis. So those are my core strengths. So every investment, going back into, into the article. So every investment opportunity is defined by consumer behavior driving the creation of markets for value created and exchanged. So that is what investment opportunity means, right? It is driven by what? So every investment opportunity, this, this simply means that how you define something that is, is investment worthy, Is by what? The consumer behavior that is driving the creation of markets for value creation and for value created and exchange in those markets. That is how you define investment opportunity. So, this simple principle defines the flow of capital across industries. So, if you check across industries, the reason why people invest in industry is because there's a significant shift in consumer behavior within those markets that make those markets viable for investment. If there's no change to human behavior, right, the investment cost is normally high. right. So that was what I was trying to say there. You understand why I was saying all these things? So therefore, money flows to where there's either a fundamental need or fundamental change in the needs of a market. This is why investment opportunity is heavily dependent on the what? Number one, the rates. Number two, the scope. And number three, the size of change within a market, right? So understanding this principle was the index, was how I was measuring opportunity, you know, working with those startups, the business models I was developing, the, all of those things, the business architecture I was designing. All of that was designed on what? The changing behavior within that edtech market at the time, right? So understanding this simple principle, was the index for my ability to predict the projections of the air tech market in 2018. So while I was at those companies, I made it clear that the market was not ready, that the market was, what, two years ahead of itself. So we needed to spend more time, what, exploring other markets, designing a business model, exploring what the business model can actually be to define our routes to profitability. That was what I was trying to explain here. Like, let me just read. So understanding this principle was the index for my ability to project the projections, to predict the projections of the air tech market in 2018 as I worked with Utiva. So, Utiva, I already knew that we were a little early to market, um, and by 2018, I already knew that by 2020 was when we needed um, to be more aggressive in that market. And secondly, right, um, it made me realize that, assuming I had a better understanding of this conversation before joining those companies, I would have understood the kind of problems that were creating opportunities at the time. So, as of 2018, the problem that needed to be solved first was access. That is why Scholar X was able to easily scale and blow in 2018. Right? So, as I said, those four problems needed to be solved accordingly. So, solve access to, to, to problems first. Once people can access education easily, you can now solve the quality of education. Once people can now access quality education, you can now sort what they are learning, the learning environment and how they are learning it. Once that has been solved, you can now solve what? Their access to jobs and opportunity creation. That's what I was trying to basically establish here, right? So at the time, the etched market was in its pre-infancy stage, so every market has what they call... Um, the life cycle of every market, right? So you have the pre infancy stage, the infancy stage, the growth stage, the decline stage, and then the death stage, right? So if you map that graph, you, you will see those things on that, right? So working with Ziva, right, at the time was still at the pre infancy stage. So the business model needed to be developed on the go, right? So at the time, the tech market was in its pre infancy stage and not investment friendly. So to, to invest in tech at the time was more risky. If you wanted to invest at the time, you invest in things like Scholar X. That's why Scholar X was, was able to easily raise funds, and um, easily scale products, easily scale as a business, right? So you need to always understand the life cycle of every business for you to be able to understand the investment opportunity and what problem needs to be solved at what time. So at the time, the tech market was in its inf- it was in its pre infancy stage, and it was not investment friendly because the tech market was immature with more non-consumers. Remember the concept of non-consumers, right? So the the market market's maturity is defined by how much consumers you have, to how much non-consumers you have. So in those in those stages, right, consuming educational products that were digital or that had disruptive business models was very was very low, right? Because what they were not people that could afford it. So we had more non-consumers than consumers. That's why the market was what immature. That's why the problem that needed solving first was access to, to education, which is what? People funding people to go to school, right? If you remember our statistics um, in, in the case, right, you see how many people were out of school, right? So those people needed to first get into school for us to be able to explore other aspects of the opportunity. That's what I was trying to basically say there, right? So we had more non-consumers than consumers. So the edtech tech market opportunities are defined by four major channels of change, respectively, which are, so as I've already explained, which are what? Access to learning opportunities. For example, the type solved by what Scholar X. Number two, learning program model or, or learning model. For example, this kind of problem solved by what Edu Bridge and Utiva, right? Number three, the learning environment, the kind of problem solved by what? By student-build Africa. And number four, the learning outcomes, the kind of problem solved by Slave Cube. So even when I was at Slave Cube, also, the market was not ready for the, for the kind of product. Slate Cube was offering. That is why, when I joined Slate Cube, you know, as part of the conversations about moving operations to South Africa instead of starting in Nigeria, they can establish. I, I proposed that they could establish operations in Nigeria, but the target audience, the target market, should be what South Africa and the rest, because South Africa was what a more mature market. We had more, more consumers and non-consumers. That is why Slate Cube was, you know, finally moved to South Africa as the headquarters. Right. So, according to this analysis. Scholar X was the most viable investment-ready solution at that time, based on what the evolving need. That is, non-consumption of education, innovation, solved through scholarships. That's what Scholar X was doing. And others were too early to market. So, at the time I was at Utiva, we were too early to market. And at the time I was at Slate we were too early to market. The only time that we were, I was able to make a better decision that fits the market's needs at the time was when I was co-founder, of Student Build Africa, because at the time those two problems had been solved by these innovation companies. And then now we could now solve the problem of a learning environment because people were ready and able to learn. So we can now create an enabling environment to make sure that our learning was what was, was better. So joining student build was a very strategic decision that paid off. So as you can see the image, right? There are two sides of this conversation about the value placed on young people. Either as what well, talent supplier. as value creators so back into the article as i transitioned across the high growth startup companies one reality was consistent across every business model explored within with the innovations deployed for the undergraduate community which was that they were an immature and non-consumer based market and this reality did not easily validate the business models we were building at the time so most of the time we had to either pivot so, so that I'm saying, so most, most of the times we had to either pivot or either pivot the market like, oh, sorry. So, so most of the times we had to pivot, either pivot the market like either, or pivot the product like Slate Cube or, part, or pivot the business model like Student Build Africa to stay competitive and it worked. So what I was trying to say is when we noticed in 2018 that the market was immature, right? Right. So for Utiva, we had to what, pivot what Utiva is from serving undergraduates to serving what entry-level um, start um, to coppers and entry-level um, talents. Right? So that is why today, if you notice um, Utiva's business model, the people that attend Utiva's um, classes are people who are working, who are entry-level, and they're trying to upscale um, themselves, or people who have just finished from the university and awards are coppers because what well, they are looking for jobs, so they need these skills. So most of the time, when you're early to market, you can either pivot your business model, pivot your product, or pivot the market, right? In Slate Cube, we're early to market, so we had to pivot the product. So in Slate Cube, Slate Cube started as a digital product to upskill undergraduates. But we noticed that the business model was too early to market, right? So we had to pivot and start what making sure that we're creating products of integration for startups sorry for startups and for bigger sorry for bigger organizations right so we have to pivot the product and make it an integration tool so we're supposed to onboard um big companies for those big companies to now pay a subscription fee to have access to as many talents as they want over a period of time so we have to pivot the product like we did in Cube. or we pivot the business model like we did in business in Student Build Africa. So by business model pivoting, in Student Build Africa, we decided design, to define a business model called an ecosystemic approach, right? So in Student Build, you have in Student Build an incubator which was accessible by, for free, right? You just need to meet the requirements and be a sharp and bright guy, right? We had a content-driven network of community where it works by volume, right? You just pay 1K to access content for a whole year. So how we made money from that was that the more people joined the community, the more we raised money. Do you understand? So we, we had about 1,000 um, people. We reached about 1,000 people within the first two weeks. And 300 people, you know, we had a forty system because we had to be verified by, by um, Flutterwave and all of that. So we couldn't integrate the payments directly. So that is why we had 1,000 people sign up, right? But only 300 people were able to subscribe, right? So that is what I was trying to explain right there right so um so that's what i mean by business by pivoting the business model to stay competitive so i had analyzed that we were too early to market as a 2018 so the ed tech market at 2018 was too early right but right now it is it is more mature. that is why you have the the, the industry gurus like Shimdu sagaya jumping into into you lesson like shim sagaya sorry um, jumping into U lesson because right now the tech market is hot and it is ready and mature. So if all of those companies were starting today, they would have been starting right at the at the helm of opportunity, right. So that's what I was trying to explain there, right. So I figured that it was high time to face the other side of this conversation squarely and fix the non-consumption problem through the value creation side of the conversation. Hence, the venture matrix for the future of Africa project. So what I was trying to say here is. Um, two months ago, or a month ago, I think in June or July, I left Student Build to, f- to focus fully on what the venture matrix could actually do to the undergraduate community. So I no longer work with Student Build Africa. Um, I, I also renounced my co-founding um, engagement with Student Build. So I don't work with Student Build. Uh, my last engagement with Student Build was at the Student Build Summit 2020. So, back into the article. In this proposed matrix, we need to put aside our existing social narratives about certain economic concepts for our mind to be open to its possibilities. We need to adopt more lateral thinking than vertical thinking because we are designing a system that thrives on change rather than the traditional ones we are used to. That, I, that either resi- that either resi- so, I'm saying that Um, that that either resist change or wait for change to happen. So what I was trying to say is that we need more lateral thinking. Lateral thinking is more dynamic, more diverse um, than vertical thinking, thinking one way. Do you understand? Right? You can read up more on that to understand what that concept means, right? So this matrix is designed to establish an equilibrium between the change happening outside it and the change happening within it. This reality will be achieved by the rise of institutions within this undergraduate during economic environment. Ergo, the need for the rise of institutions designed to attain. So, this, so right now, we want to define what these institutions are supposed to be developed to attain. Right? So what I was trying to say here is, so ergo is a Latin word for therefore. So this means, therefore, the need, but it's also an intelligent way I used to introduce um, the, fin- the, the, the title of the final um, piece, which is also titled Series 7, Ergo. So, Ergo, therefore, the need for the rise of institutions designed to, work, number one, attain, number two, democratize and distribute political, social, and economic power through emergent communities built from the matrix to balance economic outcomes for everyone under the statewide parameters under statewide parameters, is as essential as the creation of an equilibrium environment within this ecosystem. So what I was trying to say there is, as much as we are vying to create an economic and ecosystem, we also need to create institutions that attain, democratize, and distribute political power, social power, and economic power. So we need institutions that are political institutions. We need social institutions and economic institutions so that they can, what, distribute um, these prosperous outcomes to make sure it is accessible by both the innovation class and the economic class. So what this is trying to say is institutions is what we balance and bridge the gap. So instead of having a reality like today where we, where we have an opportunity gap, where rich people are rich, but their wealth is a very major gap from the poor, right? A very wide gap. that, the, that So to scale from being a poor person to a rich person today, the gap is very wide. So we need institutions to be able to what, always close that gap. We're not saying they should make the rich people poor, or we should make the rich people pe- um, um, the rich people, um, the rich people poor, or the poor people rich. No. We just need institutions to make sure that everybody can access opportunity at their level, for them to at least what for, for social mobility. That was called for social mobility. So for people to be able to move in their economic class. So the point is we need to use institutions to create to balance out that environment where somebody can be poor today and say oh i know if i do xyz i can be what be rich tomorrow that is an ex- that is an that is a community that is what that is progressive that's a transformative economy people can predict their future people can predict their life right so that is what is going to be achieved by what by institutions right so that's what i was trying to say there so going back into the article the hongari community is made up of two classes the economic class and the creation or innovation class. The economy class comprises of students who are beneficiaries and reflectors of the state of the economy, while the creation and innovation class comprises those with skills to earn an income or build solutions into businesses. In a transformative economy, one cannot function properly without the other. So in this economy, we need both. We don't just need value creators. We also need the economic class to contribute to the formation of markets. That is what this is saying. So in a transformative economy, one cannot function properly without the other. We need both of them. And this is what the rise of institutions would seek to achieve through the archetype of um, three Ps, policies, projects, and partnerships, exposed to us in series two. What this whole paragraph is basically saying is that everybody has a role to play. Even if you are not a creator or an innovator, we need you because who are the creators creating for, even for the economic class? And who are the economic class um experiencing, if not for what the innovative class is worth creating. So we need those two parts of the so every undergraduate community is made of those two parts, right? So the the innovator class will only make up 20% of that community, while that community is, is majorly made up of 80%. So we need those two for us to have what a robust economy within our universities, an economic model within our universities. So let's go right in. The value creation ecosystem of a transformative economy exists as a result of the continuous interactions between what the... the, So that economy, that ecosystem, right? Sorry, that economy, a transformative economy is just a combination of what an environment and what an ecosystem, an economic ecosystem. Those two things, when they fuse together, is what makes what a transformative economy. So that's what I was trying to explain here. The value creation ecosystem of a transformative economy Exist as a result of the continuous interactions between a living environment and institutions, as undergraduates. So first of all, right? When enabling an environment meets institutions, that is what makes what a value creation ecosystem. That's simply what that is saying. When a value, a, um, a, when a value creation ecosystem continues to interact, then you will now have a transformative economy. That's what I was trying to basically explain. In this paragraph so let me just read all of the paragraph and just reiterate the point right so the value creation ecosystem of the transformative economy exists as a result of the continuous interactions between the enabling environment and institutions as undergraduates begin to exploit the enabling environment to create share exchange and distribute value amongst themselves which births what the microeconomy so the transformative economy can be a national economy but it needs to start as what a microeconomy within the university community first. So institutions play a major role in this ecosystem because over a certain period, this creation of value will be so embedded in their local communities that there will be a need for growth and expansion, which which also invites competition. So there will be competition. We need institutions to regulate competition. That's what we're trying to say here. This natural progression and unfolding of events require a proactive measure to make sure the core purpose of this enabling environment which is to democratize economic power, isn't corrupted by the institutionalization of self-interest, greed, or exploitation. What I'm trying to say here is, once people start creating wealth, there is a natural tendency for self-interest, greed, and exploitation to become institutionalized. So we need institutions to fight against this becoming the reality. Do you understand? Their focus should be on democratizing economic power. That's what these um, institutions should be developed for, to democratize economic, social, and political power, right? And fight against institutionalization of self-interest, greed, or exploitation, where corruption will not be a normal thing. That's what institutions are supposed to be developed in this context to fight. So these institutions will facilitate a coalition. That's another thing that they're supposed to do. They're supposed to facilitate a coalition between governing bodies within the under, under, undergraduate community, university management, state, And federal traditional governing institutions to establish subsidiarity. So, what subsidiarity means is that local communities that would be empowered to access and manage their own. So subsidiarity means when communities can manage their own resources and define their own outcomes without the influence of the federal government, right? Right. So the focus is for them to establish subsidiarity where local communities that will be empowered to access and manage their own resources to exercise, exercise economic power. Through the economic engine fueled by the community. This will provide a good case for social democratic economics, where institutions governed by this coalition would facilitate the rise of emerging e- communities and economies managed by the state under the support of the federal system. What this simply means eh, is that institutions are supposed to what, create partnerships and relationships with the local community with the state, com- um, with, the, with the local community and their government, the state government and the federal government to make sure that the local community can manage the resources and will be given enough power, authoritative and executive power to manage its own resources and define its outcomes and then just make contributions based on its own um, 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 economic um, model, right? not based on what the federal government defines for it, right? That is what that was basically saying, right? That, every, every, that under this system, when it starts to prosper, right, the prosperity should be shared in that community, right? So that it can incentivize communities to what, develop their own economic structures. Instead of saying, because one community is prosperous, we should now distribute their, their wealth or their prosperity to every other community. No, that doesn't work. Because that also now gives room for corruption. And then um, it, all, it just counterfeits the system, right? And how we achieve that institutions should focus on policies, projects, and partnerships that it wants to drive those conversations, right? So, this proposed economic model, acting as a framework for the transformative economy driven by the venture matrix, mostly models the concept of a hybrid of elements of a traditionally free market. So, for you to probably understand the depth of this, you need to actually do a little Google and research, right? I cannot, even no matter how much I explain it, you still, these are very technical terms um, in, in, in economics and uh, government and, and the rest. So you need to understand these things for you to be able to understand it, right? Own the knowledge. Don't be scared. Don't be, don't shy away from doing your own research and making knowledge your own, right? No matter how much I explain it, you won't fully grasp it if you don't do your own research. So what I'm saying here is that it needs a hybrid of elements of a traditionally free market and a mixed economy model. But in this case, the government is the secondary stimulator of economic activity while the institutions are the primary stimulator, defining the parameters of the free market through the three Ps, policies, projects, and partnerships. So what it's designed to simply say, right, is that the economic activity, in the economic activity, the federal government is a customer. The biggest customer to the value created in these communities is the federal government. So, what this is simply trying to say is that institutions are going to facilitate that where the government is the biggest customer, right? Of the value created in these communities, instead of being so you'll not start hearing things like uh the, the public sector or the government is the biggest employer of labor. That is not sustainable. Instead, the conversation should be. The communities are the biggest employer, or the undergraduate community are the biggest employer of labor, and then the government is the biggest customer of the value created in that community. That is what I was trying to simply explain there by all of those economic models and all of that, right? So, in this hybrid model, five major institutions are es- essential to shaping the economic landscape. These are so we need these kinds of institutions to solve problems of us private ownership of assets free exchange or free markets, market competition regulation and inclusive rights and regulations, civil society, innovation and enterprise. Right? So you need institutions devoted to sorting these problems to democratize economic power. Right? So these institutions have one purpose and one purpose only. Which is what? Employing the three Ps for wealth creation and favorable economic outcomes for every particular, for every student in their host community through value creation by students. So, basically what this is saying is that it's actually supposed to, this, that is actually an error, it's supposed to be favorable economic outcomes for every stakeholder, right, in that value chain, including the host community through value creation by students. I'm sorry, I'm going to quickly edit this live. This is fun. I don't, I don't like procrastination, so I'm going to edit this live. Right? Um, we're still on time, so I'm able to do this. So, as I said, right? Um, yes. So, I said, these institutions have one purpose and one purpose only, which is what? Employing the three P's for wealth creation and favorable economic outcomes for every stakeholder not just students. Students are in the value chain hosted in a local community. A local community through through value creation by the undergraduate community. So, I think I've already been able to co- communicate what I was trying to say here. Right. So, I'm just going to save this and have it um, published. Right. So, that is, I've already explained that. Right. So, what we're trying to say there is that um, the The narrative should be that the government is the biggest customer of the undergraduate community um, ecosystem, right? And then the institutions are meant to make that happen by employing the three P's for wealth creation and favorable economic outcomes for every stakeholder within that value chain hosted within that local community. So this is to be attained by the achievement of three objectives. So the three objectives that the the institutions are supposed to attain are, number one, governance, risk management, and compliance. Those are what the, the major objectives that every institution will be evaluated by, right? So the purpose and objectives of the major institutions will be established by the three P's, which are policies, projects, or platforms, and then partnerships, right? I purposely didn't explain this here because also this will be properly explained what, in the book, that will be published in the last week of September. So I'm going to publish a book based on this project in the last week of September that will be readily available to anybody who can purchase it. So the rise of of institutions. So as I said, what we're trying to do here today is establish the why. Why do we need the rise of institutions rather than giving a blank um, layout of what the institutions should be, even though I've already still given. At least define the objectives, define the purpose, define the functions, define how they will work, right? That's what I was able to do here. So, the rise of institutions is an essential system to ensuring that the end goal of creating an enabling environment in a vibrant value, equation, value creation ecosystem within our tertiary institutions is to achieve a transformative economy. So, we just want to help them focus, which we explained earlier as an economy with markets where the producers create value for the customers, for the consumers and the consumer's create market value for the producers. That is basically where producers are able to produce and where customers can afford what producers or innovators are producing. So in simple terms, the rise of undergraduate-driven institutions would create an economic reality where the cost of innovation reduces, exactly what I've been trying to say, because consumers are prosperous enough to consume innovation just as much, fast enough to validate viability for consumer behavior transform into markets. so remember as i said every investment opportunity is defined by the changing customer behavior in that market right so we need institutions to be able to make that happen right where customers consumers which are the undergraduate community which are the locals are able to consume innovation fast enough to make sure that everything created becomes a valid business model so in this economy Creators are incentivized to create value that makes customers prosperous. Remember, as I said, the business model here is to empower the customers, right? To make sure that their lives are better. They can generate income. You know, they have, they, they, they have access to opportunity. Uh, it costs them less time. You know, remember defining the barriers to consumption that we need to tackle, right? Access to opportunity, um, time, skill um and, and cost affordability right so the institutions are supposed to to regulate that like now the power of institutions is what makes things like in ife right the highest you can pay for bus fee is 20 naira or 30 naira. there are institutions set in place to regulate that um, the prices are stable you cannot just call price anyhow there are institutions that make sure that the prices are regulated within the community environment. I'm sure it's it's like that in your university and other universities also. So that's the power of institutions. So we need the rise of institutions to make sure that that is still the case when we create this enabling economy. So in this economy, creators are incentivized to create value that makes consumers prosperous because the institutions are designed to facilitate sustenance of that mutually beneficial relationship between consumers and value creators. So... Last paragraph. Institutions set up to represent the needs and interests of the community, individually and collectively, by number one, regulating, number two, negotiating, number three, developing, and number four, implementing initiatives that facilitate the appropriate distribution of wealth within the community is an essential sphere of this venture matrix. The rise of institutions which are either non-partisan, so that's another point I needed to clearly state, The institutions have to be non-partisan. They don't have to play to party politics of being PDP or APC or NDDP or PDP. Do you understand, right? They have to be non-partisan, right? Because they are negotiators for the consumers of that institutional product. So that's what I was trying to explain here, that the rise of institutions, which are either partisan or bipartisan, is the bridge or coalition between the disruptive systems and the traditional systems responsible um, and the traditional systems responsible. So that, that simply means that the existing systems and institutions, right, are going to still play a role. And that will be established by what? Well, the rise of institutions led by students for students, right? So that they can establish coalition and relationships towards these defined outcomes. Right? So and that, how they will do that is what? By employing the three P's to create and sustain the enabling environment according to the dominant markets defining the economy, right? They seek to align the interests of the nation with the locals. Simple. These institutions are to be set up to facilitate, modify, predict, and manage the processes and multi dimensional interactions defining and shaping economic behavior. And this venture matrix is one of such economic environments that will require the rise of institutions to consolidate its evolution into a sustainable self-sustaining value creation ecosystem so we've come to the end of today's session and i'm so happy that i was able to keep the time when we, we ended exactly five o'clock right but let me just round up with this thing right what i was trying to say here is that the rise of institution is very essential because they are the bridge between what the external environment and the internal environment the re- the regional the state and the federal systems right and then this System that's independent of them. The bridge between that is what these institutions that are going to be created. That is what I was trying to simply establish here. Right. So thank you so much for joining in. I hope you've been able to easily connect the concepts here and are also as excited as I am to get right to creating this thing as our reality. So thank you very much and um, have an amazing day. So if you have enjoyed today, if you've learned something new, if you are fired up, let me know in the comment section right so share your excitement with me in the comment section share your experience with me share me share with me what you've been able to learn and i would like to really learn about all that you are enjoying so far right so thank you very much and have an amazing time i look forward to leading the future and creating it with you